0: No other king could vanquish the war or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. of glory, son of the living God, not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for, the one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh. flesh he is the one to establish god's reign and rule to heal the sick give sight to the blind freedom to the prisoners and proclaim good news to the poor this jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation he embodied the covenant fulfilled the commandments and reversed the curse This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent. The one prefigured to Noah in the flood. The one promised to Abraham. The one guaranteed to Moses before he died. The one promised to David during his reign. The one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant. The one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the father's son of the world and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and he is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king.
1: Well, good morning, Bayshore, and everybody watching online. It's so good to have everybody with us. A really unique Sunday for all of us, but we're so glad that we're all connected, and the church is not something that meets in a location, but the church is the people of God that come together all around the world, uh, around the person of Jesus. So it's good to see everybody today. We're so glad that you're connected to us, and uh, we're starting a new series today called Prelude to Easter. We're about four weeks from Easter, and uh, Easter is a big event in the life of the church church, not just our local church, but the church universally. And it's the uh, Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The most important uh, aspect of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. So we're talking about in this uh, series called Prelude to Easter, the things that build up to Easter. Actually, a prelude is something that builds up to something important. So when we talk about, in this series, a prelude to Easter, we're talking about the things that were really important that build up to Easter. Now, I want you to think about Easter. When we think about Easter, a lot of times we think about Easter starting in the New Testament. The whole Easter Easter story is in the New Testament. We think that the Easter story revolves around Jerusalem. But the truth is the Easter story goes way, way back before uh, before the New Testament, and it starts in the Old Testament. And so the reason we're doing this series is to help us, first of all, to get ready for Easter spiritually, our hearts and our minds to get ready for Easter. The second reason we're doing this series is so that we really understand what Easter is all about, because it's very easy for us to sometimes, you know, not really understand the true meaning of Easter, what Easter is really about. Heard about the uh, Sunday school teacher who asked uh, her students, their little little kids in, their, in her class, what what happened on Easter? And, uh, and nobody said anything. So the Sunday school teacher is feeling so bad, you know, that she's been teaching this class. They don't even know what Easter's about. And finally, one little girl, a little frilly dress, she raised her hand and she said, Easter is when Jesus came out of the tomb. And the, the teacher felt so much better. But the little girl kept talking and she said, and if he sees his shadow, he has to go back in his tomb and there's six more weeks of winter. So, you know, sometimes we don't really understand what Easter's all about. I think one of the things we need to remember is that Easter is an ancient story and it happened not only in the New Testament, way back in the Old Testament, there's a picture of the Easter story. Now, some of you like, you know, like really freak out about the Old Testament. The Old Testament really like messes you up. Oh my gosh, you don't want to read the Old Testament, all that, you know, heavy stuff. And, you know, God seems to be in a bad mood in the Old Testament. So we're like, we don't like to read the Old Testament. But here's what I want you to remember about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is like an art gallery. It's like an art gallery. Now, uh, I I don't know a lot about art. I wish I did. I wish I knew a lot more about art. When I was in the University of Delaware, there was a class called uh, Art Appreciation. I didn't get to take it. I didn't didn't fit my schedule. But I've always been interested in art, but I don't know a lot about art. But one of the things I know is that art is is fascinating. People love art. Now, I don't like abstract art. Art that's like you know like a piece of you know canvas with a, a paint bucket spilled on it. I like art that really signifies something. Particularly, I like historical art. Uh, I was in Atlanta a few years ago, and I, I was at this place called the Cyclorama, and it's this uh, really cool thing where you you sit in this little theater in these theater seats, and it's like a round building, and there's all these paintings uh, on the on the walls around this uh, in the Cyclorama, and it depicts the actual uh, battle of Atlanta in the Civil War. And you sit in this little seat, and you just it kind of goes around, and, and it puts little spotlights on the pictures and explains what's going on, and so. So, you know, I love that type of art. When you think about historical art, art is, historical art is depicting something that uh, has happened in the past and it captures it in a painting. When you think about the Old Testament, the Old Testament is art, uh, kind of an art gallery that pictures something that hasn't happened yet it pictures something that hasn't happened yet. So in the Old Testament, we get this incredible picture uh, in in Exodus chapter uh, 11 and 12 of what's called the Passover. And when Jesus was doing the Passover meal uh, with his disciples, it was commemorating this event. And this happened in Exodus chapter 11, chapter 12. And it's that great story of how the children of Israel got out of the land of Egypt and they'd been in captivity for a long time in the land of Egypt. And so God miraculously got the people out of the land of Egypt. Now let me read the story to you and then we'll tell you a little bit about the story, what the story's all about. Exodus chapter 12, verses one through 13. And it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole company of Israel Israel, that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that are there. You are determined the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be a year old male or uh, and without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take, that, take them uh, until the 14th day of the month, when the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they are are to eat the land. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled uh, with water, but roasted over fire with the heads, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it's left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will happen, will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, this is a great story and it's a picture. Just think about this as a picture of Easter that's about to come. And uh, what's really interesting about the story, it's an incredible picture, but there's tension in the story. There's tension in the story. Whenever you go see a movie, if it's a good movie, or if you read a book, there's always some kind of tension in the story that makes that story engaging. Now, when we read this story, if we play close, well, close attention to the story, one of the things that I think is significant is the tension in the story revolves around this idea. Who is it that's bringing destruction on the land of Egypt? Who is it that's bringing destruction on the land of Egypt? Who is it that's causing, uh, is gonna cause the firstborn of all of the Egyptians to die? Who is behind that part of the narrative? And that's the part of the story that makes us uncomfortable. When we look at the story and we honestly look at what the Passover story is about, we discover that the person that's behind the destruction that's coming uh, on the land of Egypt is not the grim reaper, it's, it's not the devil. It's not, you know, if you watch the Ten Commandments with Charlton Hesman, it's not that mysterious green mist that comes through the streets. When you read the text carefully, what we discover is the destruction and the death that's coming upon Egypt is coming from God himself. It's coming from God himself. It says very clearly in the text that it's the Lord that's going to strike down the firstborn. Let me, let me read it to you a little bit so we can kind of look at this. And this is what I call, I think, the uncomfortable part of the text. It says in Exodus chapter 11, verse uh, four. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says about midnight. Listen to this. I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn son of Egypt will die. And then in chapter 12, uh, verses 12 and 13, on that same night, this is God speaking, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn. So that's the part of the story that I think when we think about Easter that we don't like. Because the Passover story tells us why the cross is necessary. The cross is necessary because God is coming in judgment on Egypt. Now, it's it's not the devil, it's not the grim reaper, it's not some black mysterious force, but it's God himself that is bringing judgment on Egypt. Now, here's the thing that in our modern culture we're all struggling with. We have a tendency to think about God solely as a God of love and grace, that God is love and mercy, God is love and grace, and, and he is absolutely all of those things. But if we just speak about God being full of love and grace, we're only speaking half the gospel. Because the gospel really is, for us to really understand the gospel, we need to understand this part of God, that God is just as much a God of justice and truth as He is a God of love and grace. Now, if you were to ask me, uh, Pastor Danny, is God more love or is He more law? Is God uh, more grace Or is he more justice? Well, the answer to that question is God is equally love and justice. And if you think about God as being a God who's simply love and simply mercy and simply grace, then we have lost our concept of the true God of the Bible. Because the Bible says this the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I want everybody to say it with me. It's found in uh, Psalms, found in Proverbs. I want you to say this with me the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So when you read the Passover story, the Passover story is this tension because we see that it's God who's coming in judgment upon the land of Egypt. God is coming to bring death to the firstborn. Now, here's what it says in the New Testament to just uh, convince you that I'm not speaking, you know, something uh, in Swahili here and it's crazy. In the New Testament, it says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So for us to really understand the gospel of Easter, for us to really celebrate Easter, for us to really understand what the cross is about... We have got to understand that God came into Egypt and he came into Egypt and he was judging the sin of Egypt. And there was a solution that we're going to see in just a moment. But God is a God of justice and God is a God of law and God is a God of righteousness just as much as a God as as, as he is a God of love. And, and if we understand that we have been rescued from God's justice and God's wrath, then we can truly celebrate what Christ is about. Uh, Corey was leading worship here this morning in the band. We had an incredible uh, coalition of uh, all of our campuses helping lead worship this morning. When we really understand what our salvation is, when we really understand what we've been delivered from, then our worship goes to a higher level. Because we understand that, that God has rescued us, rescued us from, uh, from his wrath and his justice. Now, let me give you some scriptures. This is very, very important for you, everybody online, everybody here, uh, the, my staff that's here that's listening. I want you to listen to what the New Testament says about God's justice. Now, we said in the Old Testament, the picture in the Old Testament, the Passover is God coming. It says, I will strike down the firstborn in Egypt. God is the author of justice. God is behind this judgment. It's not the devil, not the grim reaper. It's the Lord himself that's behind it. And here's what it says in the New Testament. Uh, God, uh, Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, the church of Th- Thessalonica that Paul established in one of his missionary journeys. And he gives us a little introduction to the to the church. And he says in uh, verse uh, eight of chapter one, the Lord's message rang out, uh, not only uh, in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. He's complimenting them. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned from God from that's what the Thessalonians did when they met Christ, to serve the living and true God. Verse 10, listen to this, very important. And to wait for his son from heaven, who raised, uh, who, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Who rescues us from the coming wrath. So that's a New Testament verse, and if you read Thessalonians, we all love Thessalonians, the second coming of the Lord, and all these neat things in Thessalonians, but in the first part of the book, we see that that, uh, he's reminding them that Jesus has rescued them from the coming wrath. That's an important concept for us to remember. A couple more verses real quickly, Romans 1.18, the wrath of God... The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And how about this verse? How many know, uh, those of you are listening online, you may not even go to church regularly, but how many know John 3.16? A lot of you know John 3.16. Uh, here's how it goes. But listen to the, the subtleness of this, of this verse. You know, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, what does the word perish mean? The word perish means to be utterly destroyed. So when we believe in Jesus, we, are, we won't perish, we won't be destroyed, we won't be judged by God. And then it says uh, in the rest of the verse uh, of uh, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world, condemn the world, but to save the world through him, whoever, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. You're not under judgment. If you know Jesus and you walk welcome with Jesus, you're not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already means he stands under the judgment of God. So listen, I want you to know this. This is important. Bayshore is committed to make sure that we give the right presentation of what God is really about. And God is a God of justice and righteousness, and He's a God of love and grace. Say it with me God is a God of justice and righteousness, and also a God of love and grace. So if we leave out this part of the Passover story, we are not understanding the gospel. We are not understanding the gospel. We don't understand this. Now, we have this, uh, this guy at the Millsboro campus here at uh, Bayshore. One of my favorite people. His name is Derek Cathell. Derek Cathell is one of my friends at Bayshore. And I, when I'm out there in the parking lot greeting people on Sunday morning, uh, when I see Derek come, I'm so pumped up about Derek because he's, he's the nicest guy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Derek is, um, he's friendly, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's gentle, he's full of love, he's just an amazing guy. I just love Derek. Here's a picture of Derek uh, and his wife, Pativa and his two kids, and uh, got a big smile on his face. If you know Derek Cathell, Derek Cathell is the best guy in the world. Now the only, there's one caveat to, to Derek that is, he does have one negative thing. And that is that he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. That's the only thing. And, uh, you know, he's got a picture of him as Dallas. You know, that's the only thing wrong with this man. And uh, we let him come to church. That tells you we have Dallas Cowboy fans at every campus at Bayshore. And that tells you we are a church of tolerance and grace. We love everybody. But you know what about Derek? I'm telling you, he, if you know Derek, he's kind. He's got a gentle voice. He's sweet. He's a good dad. He's a good father. He used to come when I led my men's group. He came to my men's group and he always came in with a smile on his face. Always so sweet, always kind. Derek Cathell would do anything for you. If he saw you, he would do anything for you. But you know what about Derek Cathell? He's also committed to justice because he's a state policeman. He's a state policeman. I here's a picture of Derek Cathel, uh and his uh, uniform there. And Derek is also a man who upholds the law and he upholds righteousness in our state. And, and, and Derek is loving and Derek is kind and Derek is merciful. But if you're speeding on one, Route 113, he will give you a ticket in Jesus' name. Because he is both of those things. He's both of those things. He's committed to uphold the law and what is right and what is good and what is equitable. Derek Cathell is like God. Kind, gracious, wonderful, merciful, but also a God of justice, God of righteousness. That's who God is. And Derek brings both of those two things together. When you think about God, to really understand God, And to really understand Easter, Easter will mean nothing. Easter will mean nothing to us. The cross means nothing to us. It's just a piece of jewelry. Until we understand that the cross was the shock absorber for the universe where God Himself gave His only Son and the Son took the wrath of the Father He took the wrath of the Father because the righteousness of the Father had to be justified. And the Son and the Father in perfect unison and agreement and had that agreement that He would take the justice that you and I deserve. So when I was, you know, a Methodist, I used to go to Methodist church, Uh, my Methodist pastor uh, once said, uh, Pastor Chuck, he said, if you could really see the cross... Uh, you wouldn't be able to look at it. If you really knew what the cross was like, you wouldn't be able to look at it. Because it was at that moment in history that God put his full wrath on his son. And so in the Passover story, it's God, it's God, not the devil, not the grim reaper, not the green mysterious mist coming into Egypt. It was God coming to judge the land of Egypt. And God was behind the death of the firstborn because the wages of sin is death. Everybody say it with me. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So the answer, there's a solution in the story. The solution is, is that they were uh, to take a lamb and it was the month of Abib. In fact, it says in, uh, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, this is going to be the beginning of months for you as you start this Passover thing. It's going to be the beginning of months for you. This is a brand new beginning for you. When a person comes to Christ and they put their faith in Jesus on the cross, this is a brand new beginning for them. And so they were to take a lamb and it had to be a perfect lamb. And so they would get the lamb on the 10th day of the month and they would keep it for four days. And they would look at the lamb to make sure the lamb was perfect To make sure the lamb was sufficient for the sacrifice, they'd look behind the ears, they would look under the neck, they would look on the legs, they would look everywhere to see if the lamb was without blemish. And then on the 14th day, they would take the perfect lamb and they would slay that lamb. Now, why did they look at that lamb for four days to make sure it was perfect? Do you remember when Jesus was tried in the New Testament? In fact, listen to this. 33% of every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, the synoptic gospels, and more in John, but 33% of of all the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is all about the last week of Jesus. It's all about the sacrifice. And what we see in the uh, gospels is that Jesus is being examined by Herod. He's being examined by Pilate. And what did Pilate say? Three times Pilate said in the Gospel of John, I find no fault in him. I find no blemish in him. He's a perfect lamb. John said in the beginning of his Gospel, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Jesus is walking on the the banks of the Jordan River. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus was being examined like a lamb. And then they took uh, the lamb in the Passover story and they sacrificed the lamb. Now, it says in the uh, uh, NIV and uh, English Standard Translation, it says that they, they, uh, they sacrificed the lamb, they shed the blood of the lamb in a basin. That's not right, actually, because the word basin there is the word threshold. So they took the lamb to the door where, the, where they lived. They took him right to the door, and right at the door threshold, they they shed the blood of that lamb. They they sacrificed the la- the lamb there, and the blood from the lamb went on the threshold of the door. And then they took their their hyssop, which is a little bush that grew in the uh, in the desert, a little scr- scrubly bush, scrubly bush, scrubly bush, and they uh, they dipped it in the blood at the threshold, and then they put that blood on the door. So when The judgment came, not the grim reaper, not the devil, but when the judgment came and the judgment came upon that house, when he saw the blood, Passover actually means a lot of different things, but it means to skip over. The judgment didn't come. So if you're listening to me online today and you're thinking about what is the gospel about? What is Jesus really about? What is Easter really about? Easter is really about this, is that we deserve the judgment of God. We deserve the justice of God. The righteousness of God should be poured out on us and we should receive the judgment of God. The wages of sin is death, but because the lamb has shed his blood, when when the wrath of God were to come, the wrath of God does not descend upon us because of the perfect work of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. So we have to remember that, that, uh, that this, the lamb had to be sacrificed, the lamb had to be examined, the lamb uh, had to be you know made sure it was a perfect lamb. And then here's the interesting thing about the story is the people, every household, every household had to take the hyssop Branch themselves. And every household, not, not just one household in the community, but every household had to apply, personally apply the blood. So it's not enough for anybody to know that Jesus died on the cross and say, well, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and I believe that Jesus raised from the dead. That really isn't enough for you or for me to be in right relationship to God and to escape God's judgment and God's wrath. That's not enough. What it requires, however, is that we personally, that we personally, apply the blood of Jesus ourselves. That we receive Jesus. And uh, here's an interesting thing about the Passover story. In the Passover story, if you read uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke about the Last Supper where Jesus and his disciples are, uh, are celebrating the Passover, because after, after the uh, Passover lamb was killed, the people would go inside, they would burn it over fire, they would put it on a spit, they would uh, burn it over fire, then they would eat and take the lamb in completely. They would eat all of the lamb. They would take the lamb in which is a symbolic picture of us taking Jesus in. Do you remember in the Passover story in the New Testament where Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John talk about Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples? Do you realize that in those stories, listen to this, and in those stories, in every one of those stories, there's not one mention of the lamb being eaten. The lamb is never mentioned in Matthew's version, it's never mentioned in Mark's version, it's never mentioned in Luke's version, but yet in the real Passover story in the book of Exodus, they were eating the lamb inside the house. Why is it not mentioned in the, in the uh, Passover story you know, in the New Testament when Jesus is celebrating the last supper with his disciples? It's because Jesus was the lamb. And instead of them eating the lamb, Jesus broke the bread That symbolizes communion. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body, take and eat. Then he gave him the cup and said, this is my cup, take and drink this cup. And so Jesus is the lamb. And so in order to escape the judgment and the justice of God, God in his love, God in his grace provided a lamb for us. And we have to put our faith in the lamb. We have to put our faith and receive the Lamb. If you're listening to me this morning, I know our staff is here this morning, and those of you online that regularly, regularly come to, to Bayshore, I want you to just, where you are in your living room, uh, maybe you won't don't want to do this if you're driving or if you're in Starbucks, but I want you to just, if you're in your living room in a private place, I want you to raise your hand right now, and I want you to thank God that he gave you a lamb to help you to escape the judgment that you deserve. Just raise your hand and say, Lord, I thank you that you gave me a lamb for me to be able to escape the judgment that I deserve. And so that is what the Passover story is about. Now, maybe here's how we think. Here's how we think. We think this. And I talk to people all the time that I try to share my faith with. They say to me, You know, hey, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to be a pretty good person. I'm trying to be fair. Trying not to cheat on my taxes every year. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to be a good person. But you know what? There's only one solution to escape the judgment of God. And that is the lamb that's been supplied for us through the precious provision of our father, the father in heaven. So here's, here's the deal can 't you can 't you can't be almost perfect and almost perfect will never get you into heaven. You need to have a substitute and the lamb in the Passover story was the substitute was the substitute for the judgment of death that was going to come on that household so Jesus is a substitute so I was a uh, I love my dad I love to hang out with my dad I go see my dad every Tuesday, take him out to dinner, and uh, we have this running conversation. Uh, my dad is uh, 82, and uh, just think, think the world of him. He's my hero. He's the reason I'm in the ministry. And uh, my dad and I are so different, though, so different. Our hobbies are different and all that. My dad, uh, he loves to bowl. He's a bowler, and I'm a tennis player. So our conversation every Tuesday is, how's your tennis game going? And I say, how's your bowling thing going? My dad, uh, you know, he loves to bowl. And when I was growing up, he wanted me to become a great bowler. And I was no good at it, had no gift, no aptitude for it. But anyhow, my dad's very good at it. And he bowls in all these leagues. And he's 82. As I mentioned, he's still bowling. But if you're a bowler, the number one thing you want to accomplish, if this is the the apex of being a bowler, you want to bowl a perfect game. Now, perfect game, you know what a perfect game in bowling is? It's 12 strikes in a row, 12 strikes in a row. And, uh, and I was watching TV with my dad a while back and the TV was on and there was a, a bowling thing going on and there was a, a guy bowling and he bowled a perfect game, 12 strikes in a row. So my dad, so he's bowled, So he can, he can throw that like little hook thing. That little hook ball goes on the edge of the, where the gutter is and then it kind of comes into the hits, the head pin. He knows how to do all that. And, uh, so one time when he was a little bit younger, he was bowling, he had five strikes in a row. Five strikes in a row. And then he went up to the line, had six strikes, seven strikes, eight strikes, eighth strike, comes up for the ninth frame, starts to roll the ball, rolls it, nine strikes, 10 strikes, 11 strikes. And he had one more frame to go One more frame to go. True story. This happened to my dad. One more frame. And if he gets this next strike, he he wins some money, names goes in some kind of magazine, and he becomes, you know, a deal. He goes up, and he lines up one more strike. One more strike. He lines up, throws a little hook ball, it's coming in, hits the head pin, and all the pins go down. But one pin one pin. He missed it by one pin. He got a 299 instead of 300. And that happened about 10 years ago. Of course, he hasn't slept since. You know that's really. That, that I'll mess you up big time. But you know what? You can do everything right, do everything right, live everything, do a, be a good dad, be a good mom, be a good worker, pay your taxes. But if you sin one time, you sin one time, because God is so holy and He's so righteous, it says in 1 John, God is light in Him, there is no darkness at all. You sin one time. One time. You're not qualified to be in the kingdom of God. But Jesus came. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Easter... Is about a perfect sacrifice taking place in the place of an imperfect individual. So this month for me, I'll be a Christian. This would be my fifty-one year being a Christian. I found the Lord uh, March 29th, uh, 1969. So when I put my faith in Jesus, uh, March 29th, 1969, it's when I became a follower of Jesus so it's it's the absolute perfect sacrifice of jesus that makes the difference for us the absolute absolute sacrifice of jesus that makes a difference for us if you, uh, it wasn't yesterday but it was the saturday before last uh, karen and i were down here working at the church it happened to be kind of cold and windy that day and uh, I was helping her set up for her, her weekend stuff here. And then we were driving home, and uh, I, was, I needed to take a walk. I'm trying to lose a little weight, so I was going to take a three-mile walk. And on the way home, I decided, hey, why don't you just drop me off before we get home, and I'll walk three miles back home instead of me getting home and then walking three, half a mile and a half and coming back. So she dropped me off, and so I'm walking. It's kind of rainy. It's cold, and it's windy, and, uh, and so I'm walking. And and I finally get home, you know, 65 minutes, whatever it took me to walk it. And I get home. When I get home, all the cars are gone. And I thought to myself, Oh my goodness, I hope I hope there's a door open in the house. I hope somebody left a door open for me, you know. Uh, and so I got there and uh, went to the uh, side door where I used to go in. Oh, it was locked. Went to the back door and where we have sliding doors and we have another door to get into the house. They were both locked. So I went to the front door. And it was locked, and I was completely locked out of my own house. And I thought, you know, I, and I know I had, you know, Karen and I had, had some issues earlier that week, but I didn't know it was going to lead to that. <laughs> but anyhow, I was locked out of the house. I'm thinking, I, I tried to call Karen two or three times, and I couldn't get her. She was screening my calls, so I wasn't getting her. And then, so I text uh, Joel. I said, Joel, are you nearby the house? I said, I need to get in the house, I can't get in. And then Stacy called me, uh, my wonderful daughter-in-law, she calls me and she says, uh, Hey, you know, Joel said there's a key, there's a hidden key under a certain rock. And she told me where it was. And uh, she said, we'll come home, but well, there's a key hidden there. And uh, my first question was, why did I not know about the key? Why does everybody else know about the key? But I don't know about the key. I don't know why. I'm the one that don't know about the key. But anyhow, she, I got the key. And picked up the rock, sure enough, there's the key. And went to the front door, opened the door, I'm in, took the key back, hid it under a rock that you'll never know where it is. And you know what? At the end of the day, there's only one key. There's only one key. There's only one way to get in to God's kingdom. And it's not by you being a better person. It's not by you trying harder. It's by you recognizing that you deserve the justice of God, the judgment of God, and that God provided a lamb to be your substitute to take his wrath. And Jesus did that. And because he is the key, it says, as Peter was preaching in uh, Acts chapter uh, 4, he says, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And we at Bayshore, we love and we believe in the name of Jesus. And that name is the key under the rock in order for us to come into the kingdom of God. And if you're here today, our staff and people that are listening online, and if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to just say, thank you, Jesus, that you are the key. For me to be in your kingdom. If you're not a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and you're listening online, hey, listen, you don't have to come to a church and go to an altar. You don't have to be in a place where there's a stained glass window. You can be anywhere and you can say, you know what, I deserve the judgment of God. I deserve the wrath of God. And Jesus has come to absorb that and take that. For me and i want to put my faith in jesus and lord you just say the lord lord i deserve your judgment because you're right you know what the word confession means i'm almost done here the word confession means to agree with it means to agree with i agree with god that i'm guilty of my sin and because i agree with god that i'm guilty And I agree with him, I can receive his provision. Let's bow our heads in prayer right now. Uh, Those here in the auditorium, our staff, they're going to lift their hands up. I'm lifting my hands up. And I'm going to be praying for everybody online right now that perhaps doesn't know Jesus and doesn't have a real relationship with Jesus. We're praying that uh, at this moment you'll receive Jesus and you won't be under the condemnation that you deserve anymore, but you can receive the grace of God. Lord, we want to thank you right now for the wonderful work of Jesus that's come for us in order for us to receive eternal life. And I want to ask you to pray with me out loud, everybody here and everybody listening online. Let's just pray this. Lord Jesus, I depend on you exclusively for my salvation. I am guilty and deserve judgment, but you and your grace have provided a lamb to take my place. I receive you into my heart. And I make you Lord. I partake of the Lamb so that I can have eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Hey, Base, your online family. We are so glad that you made it to the end of the service. And so you, you just were a part of history. This is the first time that we were ever closed down physically, but we were able to, to, to all be together. And if you said that prayer at the end of the message and you gave your life to Jesus, I just want to be one of the first to say, Hey, congratulations. You just made the best decision you could ever make. And uh, we'd love to follow up with you. And so if you could just leave us a message on Facebook, a private message, a direct message. Um, we'd we just like to get you some information and just just congratulate you and tell you sort of what's next for you. Um, as Pastor Danny ended up, he said uh, to just stay connected to social media, stay connected to our Beijer app, and we'll let you know what's coming up in the next few weeks for Bayshore. And uh, if you don't have the app yet, oh man, you are missing out. So uh, make sure you go to bayshorecc.org forward slash app, and you can download that. Um, If you didn't have an opportunity to give, you can also do that through the app and also by going to bayshorecc.org forward slash give. But just check out the app, check out our social media pages in the the days to come, the weeks to come, and uh, we'll keep you up to date as to what's going on. But you guys have a great day. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next weekend.